Hey, BGG listeners. We want to take a minute to tell you about Future Hindsight, a podcast that takes big ideas about civic life and democracy and turns them into action items that all of us can do. It's election day, and voters are deciding the balance of power in Congress for the next two years. And democracy itself feels like it's on the ballot. Future Hindsight will help you think about the future well beyond the horse race. Host Mila Atmos has compelling conversations with public servants, activists, journalists, and more. Together, they tell the story about your power and agency in the future of this American experiment. You'll always get a dose of hope and inspiration on how you can get involved. Future Hindsight is a weekly podcast. You can listen on your favorite app or on futurehindsight.com. Hey, Brown Girls, it's Ashanti, host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Here we are at the grand finale of yet another season of the BGG. But as always, engaging with the issues we've been talking about doesn't end at the end of this episode. You've got to make sure you can actually act on all of the incredible conversations we've been having. And since today is election day, get out to vote. Today, I've got the best voice possible lined up to lead us into the world of voting rights. She's a returning guest to the BGG and a major voice in getting the Black community out to the polls. It's Latasha Brown, co-founder of Black Voters Matter Fund. But before I talk with Latasha, let's lay out the ground rules. Voting is a constitutional right. It should be simple to get in line and vote. But the truth is, it's not. And that is no accident. Here to talk to me today about voting rights is the one, the only, Danielle Moody. Hey, Danielle, it's election day. Hey, Ashanti. Yes, it is. All right, I'm ready. I'm wearing my Abrams shirt. She has done amazing in her debates. We're putting it out there. We're going to have a great night. You know, I think that the early voting numbers that we have seen up until this point, we have had over 20 million people early vote. That is the highest number that we have seen, I think, ever in terms of our early voting. And so early voting bodes well for Democrats. It bodes well for us. And fingers are crossed, toes are crossed, eyes are crossed, sage is burning right now. We got the sage burning, the candles are lit, we're doing all the things. We know over 20 million people voting is phenomenal. But as we head to the polls to vote today, we have to remember there's a lot of people who want to make voting unnecessarily complicated. I want to start us off by looping back at this clip from a religious right gathering held in the fall of 1980. The person speaking in this clip is Paul Wakerich, also known as the founding father of the conservative movement. And to provide some context for our listeners, Other speakers at this event included Jerry Falwell and Ronald Reagan. Mm -mm. Christians have what I call the goo-goo syndrome. Good government. They want everybody to vote. 
I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not won by a majority of people. They never have been from the beginning of our country, and they are not now. As a matter of fact, our leverage in the elections quite candidly goes up as the voting populace goes down. 1980, 2022, same things are being said. This was literally them laying the groundwork for what we're dealing with today. We are going into another election without the full protection of the Voting Rights Act. And we know that still in so many states, despite this high turnout, they have enacted tons of legislation to stop people from exercising their right to vote. Like right now, there's people in line in Georgia who can't get water, all of these things. Tell me some of your thoughts about it. You know, I think that for Black people, particularly in this country, we have never had full voting protections. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is why the gutting of the Civil Rights Act in terms of the states that had to have preclearance, states that historically had violent backgrounds as it pertained to voting, such as Alabama, Georgia, and so many others, when Justice Chief Roberts, when he decided and said in his decision, we're past this in this country. That day, all of those preclearance states began to roll out anti-voting legislation, Mm -hmm. right, to make it harder. So you are saying like, oh, we're past this. What? Because we had one black president in the stretch of the United States, in the stretch of our democracy. We're not even fully moved from Jim Crow. Like, we have to understand Mm -hmm. that when we look at this country's history in terms of its violent, racist history, that Ruby Bridges is 60-something years old. Mm -hmm. And for those that don't remember, that's the young girl who was four years or five years old when she was integrating the school system in the South. That woman is not 100 years old. She's 60-something years old. And so when Mm -hmm. we have these conversations about, you know, voter suppression, this is something that has always been a part of the fabric of the United States. When we're seeing people right now, white supremacists in tactical gear, just standing in front of polling stations, this is reminiscent to just a handful Mm -hmm. of years ago where that was considered the norm. And so none of this is new to black and brown people in this country because voting for us has always been a dangerous proposition. Voting for us has always been a life or death proposition, whether it is life and death literally in having to die for that right or life and death in terms of who is deciding the policy, right, that is going to be bearing down on our day-to-day life. And so when I listen to this from the 1980s, I think to myself, well, what have Democrats learned during this time? What have Mm -hmm. they been doing in order to rouse people to the understanding that our history continues to repeat itself because we refuse to learn the lessons? And you mentioned Ruby Bridges. And I also wanted to note just a few weeks ago, a man passed away. He was 90 and he was the last descendant, according to the news, of slaves in this country. So he was the son of slaves. Y'all, he was only 90. This is not so far removed. As you said, we still have so much work to do. And when people ask me, oh, why do I concentrate so much on making sure that black, brown, and indigenous women, women of color are in elected office, it's also because I know it hasn't been a hundred years for them as women right. when it comes to being able to exercise their right to vote, to be able to run for office. Shirley Chisholm, that was the 1960s, y'all, not that long ago. There are still women in politics today 
who knew her, who were mentored by her. So this is why it's so important that we talk about our voting rights because it has a direct impact on who we're able to put in elected office to make sure that they are protecting our rights. And we have so many great candidates on the ballot who are doing this, who continue to make it possible. But what additional changes do you think we need to see in the world of voting rights? If not in this election, because we know it's it's wild. The astrology is wild out there today, mm-hmm. y'all. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> for future elections, because for me, I'm really clear at this point in my life, I really vote for my nieces and my nephews to make sure that I'm leaving them a better country. So what are some of the things that you want to see? I mean, Ashanti, something very simple. I would love for election day to be a national holiday. Look, this is, I mean, this, this is, this is, this is not hard work. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I say this because, you know, this country's reaction to us collectively watching the murder of George Floyd was to say, oh, here's Juneteenth as a holiday. Mind you, we're not going to provide you any curriculum. We're not going to, you know, actually teach it in schools because we don't want white kids to feel bad about themselves. This is from Ron DeSantis. The reality is, is that if everyone had the day off, right, and the day off looked like being able to go and vote, being able to go and volunteer at the polls. What I do respect nowadays is that there are corporations and some nonprofit organizations that have taken it upon themselves to give their staff the day off so that they can go ahead and vote. But think about the hourly wage worker. And we're seeing states roll Mm -hmm. back the extension of their time, right, in terms of when people can go and vote. So I'd like to also see those times lengthened. Mm -hmm. You should be able to vote as early as 6 a.m., not wait until 9. If I have to be at work at 9 and the polls open at 9, how does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Also, universal mail-in voting. Right. And it shouldn't be different, a different time and a different week in every state. Mail in voting should just start on one day for the country. I mean, these are basic things that can be done that don't require major lifts. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we push for these things and then Republicans turn around and say, oh, well, you're trying to, you know, allow people who shouldn't be allowed to vote to vote again. They are a hammer looking for a nail. Because when we look at the statistics in terms of people who are voting who should not be voting, it is like maybe five cases that we see in a an election year. Five cases, right? We see multiple gun murders, but they don't want to take guns off the streets. They don't want to raise that age requirement. Making voting easy so that we're giving everyone the opportunity. The other thing for me, and I know that this is a democracy, so people won't like this, I think voting should be mandatory. I treat it as something mandatory that I have to do, especially for us as Black women. There are people that literally died for us to have this right. And for me, I'm doing them a disservice if I do not go and exercise my right to vote, something that they wanted so much that they gave their life, you better believe I'm doing it. What I would love to see as a former educator is that when you're graduating from high school in this country, that before you're able to receive your diploma, that you have to be registered to vote, Mm -hmm. that that is a part of the process of becoming an adult and moving out of K through 12 education. And whether you're going into vocational, you're going into work, or you're going to community college or a four-year university, that along with your high school diploma, 
you are registered to vote, that that is a part of the process. And if you are 17 and you'll be turning 18, the paperwork is already done. Mm-hmm. So that that is how we are preparing youth in this country, that they understand that it is just as important as anything else that it's doing. And it is embedded as a part of their graduation into adulthood, that this would be a part of the process as well. My government teacher on the first day of class had everyone give her their birthday so she could figure out who was turning 18. And her present to you was when you came into class, there was a voter registration form ready for you. Co-sign on everything that you said, Danielle. Thank you for joining us today. For those of you who are headed to the polls, make sure that you dress comfortably, have your water, bring your extra chargers for your phone. We know it's going to be wild out there and we want to make sure that you are able to exercise your right to vote. And we look forward to seeing you all next season when we'll be able to talk about what has happened on election night 2022 and some of the new fabulous women of color that we have in office and those that got reelected because y'all went out and voted and you encouraged other people to vote. You brought other people to the polls with you. So make sure you're also doing that today. Thank you again, Danielle. Always so much fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. You can hear more about voting rights in my conversation with Latasha Brown. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Latasha, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I am well. Thank you for having me on here today. I appreciate you taking the time. So for our long-term BGG listeners, Latasha is a returning guest. For our new BGG family members, go back and listen to that first episode because on this episode, we're just diving right in to the important conversation on voting rights. But first, Latasha, you're the one of the co-founders of Black Voters Matter, but I want you to tell everyone where you're actually calling in from today to do this interview because I also need for them to hear about this other great organization that you do work with. So today I am on, I guess I love buses because I'm on the pinkest and prettiest bus in the land. I am on the Southern Black Girls and Women's Consortium. We literally launched a campaign called The Joy is Our Journey. And I'm super excited because today I went back to my high school, my alma mater. Oh, fun. Oh, it was amazing. We had music and food and we had different stations where girls get a passport and then they go on a journey, a journey for joy, where arts and culture, and this is a school system that used to have arts when I was there. They no longer, because the school system has lost so many resources over the years, they don't have an arts program. So we were able to have arts and culture. We had STEM, cosmetic chemistry. We had lashes and where people were learning how to braid. So it is part of an initiative, a $100 million 10-year initiative to be able to invest in Black women and Black girls in the South. So that's what I'm doing. And we're going throughout the South, having this Joy is Our Journey Dream Festivals to bring joy and bring attention to the needed investment in Black girls and women in the South. That is just so beautiful. You do so much great work, especially across the South. So I do want to just start by diving in and talking about some of the horrible voter suppression laws that we have seen passed, especially in Georgia. Georgia is one of the states that you have focused a lot on. We know that the voting laws got passed. And then in the primary, there was still some pretty decent turnout. 
And what I didn't like is there was a lot of articles that said, oh, see, the laws aren't that bad because look at how many people still came out to vote. Look at how many people were still able to vote. And for me, I'm like, well, you need to talk about what Lakash has done. You need to talk about what Stacey Abrams has done to really educate people, to get people out. So can you just kind of frame what we're seeing now still happening with people trying to suppress our vote? And then we unfortunately have media and other people trying to tell us that it's not that bad. One of the things that's so frustrating about racism in America is that we're punished for our progress. That whenever a minority community and Black people in particular, I'll just raise because that's been my experience. Why are we punished for our progress? Because people come out to vote, that wasn't indicative of it being easier. That was indicative of our hard work. But why should I work so hard for a basic fundamental right? Mm -hmm. I want to work on other things too. We have policy and other pieces that we want to work on. It is unconscionable that we're in 2022 and we still have to have a movement for equitable access to the ballot and voting rights. So I think that is disrespectful. It's a historical and it is completely undermines the fact that there are organizations that are doing the work to get people out to vote, not because we should, but because that it is a need because there are those that have put in barriers and we're just committed and determined that we're not going to allow those barriers to stop us. But the truth of the matter is, is it is fair to keep moving the goalposts? How would you like to play a football game and someone moves a goalpost mm -hmm. every time your team makes a touchdown? So we have to look at it in those contexts. And I think that it's really unfortunate that we don't look at it in those contexts because at the end of the day, we have made it normal and it is okay for Black people and communities of color to do more. That it is okay for us to actually, we have to give more, we have to dig more. When at the end of the day, why should we have to literally fight the way that we're fighting just for something basic and fundamental as the right to vote? And so I think that the work that we're doing, it is needed and it's necessary in this moment but it shouldn't be so hard. It takes a tremendous amount of resources. It takes a lot of time. There are many of us that are sacrificing. So you're saying, well, it's okay. We moved the goalposts and now, yeah, you got to work a little bit more. And how many hours that we've actually not been able to spend with our families? How many resources that we've had to expend? How many people who have had to suffer and put our bodies on the line to get arrested? So how dare anybody say anything about, oh, people came out to vote. No, people came out to vote because we are resilient as we have been. It's like telling Black people that, oh, slavery wasn't bad because y'all survived. We survived because our will to survive was greater than our oppression. Yes. So at the end of the day, our will to advance is greater than our oppression. But that does not justify the oppression. That does not justify the voter suppression. That does not justify the barriers that continuously are placed in our way or attempt to be placed in our way to make it more difficult. If anything, what you're seeing is you are seeing the extraordinary determination of our humanity. You're seeing the extraordinary work and gift of people all across the South that are determined that we're going to build a new South because we're building a new coalition of Black people and white folks and our Latino brothers and sisters and our Asian brothers and sisters because we're tired. We are tired of literally having an America that says one thing right in the Constitution, but does not back that up with the kind of rights that we need to enforce. And so what we are determined that we are going to create a nation that people, when we're talking about life and the liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that that becomes real and not propaganda for any of us. Man, I feel like I should just end the interview there. You just said so much. I just love you, Latasha, and everything that you said. And it is a new South. 
There's the work in Georgia and North Carolina and Florida. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing there? And especially in these states where we're seeing lots of women of color running for office at the top of the ticket, especially black women, we know that black and brown voters are going to be crucial to helping get those people elected. So tell us a little bit about what you have been doing, especially as we head into the midterms. So, you know, I often say organized power is realized power. And so if we want to really be able to direct and build power, we got to get organized. And so that's what we have been doing, along with Emerge and other organizations that are on the front line doing this work. What we've been doing is organizing our communities in a couple of ways by talking to people about the issues that they care about, not just what the media space is talking about, that we're actually defining kind of what the narrative is as we go forward. The second thing that we've been doing is really engaging people, not just around election, but year round. We're actually doing things like warrant clinics where we are eliminating, we're bringing community clinics where we're eliminating millions of dollars of outstanding warrants for folks by bringing them together to be able to negotiate with the court system have amnesty if there's a warrant that's out for them and then negotiate for them to be able to pay their warrants. That we're doing health clinics in the state of Georgia at the place where nine hospitals have closed in Georgia for the refusal of expanding Obamacare ACA, which was completely just a political tactic by the Republicans in the South in states that there is a dire need for health care, not just for Black people, but all the people in that state. And so we've been doing health care clinics and also conversations around the need for health care and how that connects with the election. We also have been working in these states to make sure that people are not only registered, but they're actually paying attention to make sure that they're not on the voting rolls and that they're constantly putting pressure and monitoring what is happening, not just on the federal level, but on the state level and the local level. We believe that people need to see democracy as that what we're saying is our freedom is our birthright, that we need to really recognize that at the end of the day, if we are to engage and to shift power, that means we're going to have to exert power. And in order to exert power, we've got to organize and constantly be a part of the changing landscape and shifting the narrative, the discussion and the policy priorities for our community. So that's some of the work that we've been doing. I always say it's like threefold, the work of Black Voters Matter. We do three things. We move money so that we can get it to grassroots groups and organizations on the ground. We mobilize communities to action and that we create, we shift the message. Because what we want people to know is that the South ain't red or blue, the South are people. And that at the end of the day, organized people make a difference of what direction we go. And as goes the South, goes the nation. We have receipts to show that. And so currently what we're doing is to work in the South and the place that many have given up that many people have said, oh, no, that's the South. That's a highly conservative. We're saying, no, we're here. We're here to stay. And we're going to shift this country. We're going to shift this nation by shifting a region that has been constantly supporting regressive policies and regressive politics. Everything you said about doing the work in the South, when I came to Emerge, I was the political director before I was the president. And I focused our work on the South. Because I knew that there were good women there that needed to run for office and they just needed for someone to make the investment. That's right. And I wanted to make sure we were that organization. And then we got groups like yours turning out the voters. I just love it. And I want to see more people do investment in the South. That's right. You know, the work that you do emerge, I actually think that's one of the most critical pieces. That's the building the pipeline of leadership. That's exactly what we need. We need to see more women and women of color who have been deeply underrepresented in positions of power and in office all across the board in this nation, but particularly in the South. You know, when we think about what happened in COVID, 100% of the job loss after COVID 
were women of color, color. y'all. Yes. Right. When we look at 68% of black women are wage workers, they're some of the most vulnerable workers that we have, but one, we think of them as essential workers. And so I say that part of the work that Emerge is doing to really be able to lay the foundation and create this leadership pipeline of new voices and women of color, that is the thing. That's the kind of work that makes me excited and is going to change the trajectory and the political landscape of this nation forever. Well, I love doing this work with you. And now I'm going to talk about something that I know makes both of us mad, that whenever we see women of color ascending, when we see people of color turning out to vote, people want to start to cast doubt. They want to say that there's election fraud. There was just something messy going on because how did these people get elected? How did so many people actually turn out to vote? Tell us a little bit about what you've been hearing about this and what our listeners need to know to help combat these lies that people like to spread about our voting power. There's a long history of that. You know, when Black people and people of color have shown up in any space, there's always been an attempt to discredit who we are, Mm -hmm. to discredit how we actually operate, to marginalize our power. The first thing that I would say is for us to call out the lie, the way you call out a lie, the way that you actually disrupt darkness is you shine light on it. So I think, one, we have to call out the lie, but I think we also have to literally be diligent about lifting up the truth, to lift up that at the end of the day, some of the lies that happen, I want people to understand, it's not because we're losing, y'all, we're winning. Yes. That the South <laughs> is becoming more progressive. It is becoming more diverse. It is becoming younger. When you look at who makes up the South, there are communities of color and young people are making up the bulk of the South. So we should spend our time talking to them, to talking to ourselves, to get us to believe, which I always talk about in a radical reimagination of what the South can be. That I'm clear that if we are able to break up this structural patriarchal racism, that is white supremacy that is in the South, when we're able to break up and disrupt those systems, in fact, we will be able to change this nation forever. I am convinced of that. We've seen evidence of that. And so I think it's really important that in this space, that what we have to do is literally do three things. One, we've got to get more people engaged and to care about what the future is going to be in this nation. Number two, we got to get more people to really think about what future they want. So instead of us just responding to current leadership around what they see, we actually have to be more proactive about creating the plans. And that's what we do with the communities we work with around envisioning what it is that we can do things differently. You know, we can actually eliminate the electoral college. When we decide to eliminate it, we can eliminate it. When we decide that DC will be a state, it will be a state. We have to also recognize that we have power and we have to organize outside of not just responding to what is already on the table, but also organizing ourselves in such a way that we can actually implement new policies and a new path forward. And the third thing, and I know you're going to love this one, Shakti. We got to elect more women in office. Yes, we do. <laughs> we just got to put more women in office that are grounded in community and have a vision of moving forward. Because what we do know, and studies have shown that, that when women are in positions of leadership, that it is more inclusive to the entire community, not just themselves, mm-hmm. that they lead with their families in mind. And so those are the things that I think we can do in this moment and this time. We've got, you know, we just got a few days We don't have that long before we have a major election coming up. This is not the moment that you sit out. This is the moment that we go harder. I always say when we had a couple of seconds on the clock and you got a close rate, that's when grace, you got to go hard in the paint. This is the moment for us to make sure that we're registered, that we're talking to each other, and we are going hard in the paint, doing the work we need to do to save and protect this democracy and actually evolve 
for this democracy to evolve to be exactly what the Constitution says it should be and what we desire and deserve. Absolutely. I just love your energy, everything that you said. So to close us out, because I know you got to get back to all the joy that you're having with the amazing Black women and girls. Like you said, midterms are upon us. They're going to be right around the corner, but we may still have those people in our lives who think they don't need to vote, that their vote doesn't matter. Nothing is going to change, but you have seen the work that can be done. So give us, what do we say to those people in our lives who are still doubtful and how do we turn them into the people that want to help defend our democracy with us? I've never met a person that didn't want some power. And I think sometimes we have reduced voting to just being participatory. You just need to vote, right? So it's almost like it's disconnected. It just becomes an action. And so I think that the way that we engage people at Black Voters Matter is we don't start from the place of participation. We start from the place of power. To talk about power. What is it that you want? What is it that you deserve? Even when they come and talk to us about their frustrations with the system, their frustrations with the elections, how they feel, instead of actually not hearing that or combating that, we're honest. We say, well, yeah, we feel that way. Sometimes I have felt where I have actually gotten let down for people that I believed in that were leaders, right? But the reason why I vote and the way that I participate in this process is because I want my community to have power. And ultimately, I know that every single aspect of my life is impacted by public policy. And who makes public policy? Elected officials. And so at the end of the day, I don't want any decision being made about me and my family and my community, and I'm not a part of that decision-making process. And so when we're talking to people about voting, we're talking to them that this isn't about voting. This is about you using your agency to make sure that you're using everything in your power, your economic power, your political power, just even in the context of your agency as a human being, to actually be able to weigh in on decisions that are going to impact your everyday lives. So our goal is not to tell people, to try to convince people to believe in the vote. Our goal is to convince people to believe in themselves. And that if you believe in yourself and you believe in your power, you're not going to let people continue to try to just take resources from your community. You're not going to continue to let people attack your community. You're not going to continue to let people just do their whatever it is they want to do. I don't care what it is that they've done. You're not going to walk in my house and try to take my stuff and I'm not going to fight you. Mm. That's just not <laughs> going to happen. And so I think that it's really important for us to really start from the premise to be honest with people that voting, I am the first one to say, I don't believe that voting is the end all and the be all going to solve our problem. I think voting is one tool of several tools that are necessary, that we must use to have the kind of environment, the kind of community that I want for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. At the end of the day, I am willing to sacrifice. I am willing to do whatever it means, whether that means how I make my financial choices, where I decide to live, and who I literally support to be in positions of power that are going to govern those things that govern me and my family. So when we're talking about people about voting, we tell them vote because you matter. Because at the end of the day, it is all about you. Yes. Latasha, thank you so much. But Tell our listeners where they can find you and how they can follow Black Voters Matter. I am on all social media, Miss Latasha Brown, M-S-L-A-T-O-S-H-A Brown, on Facebook, Twitter, IG. I often talk about some of the work that we're doing. Please follow Black Voters Matter. We're Black Voters MTR on Twitter, Instagram, and our Facebook page. We are 
constantly doing work. We work in 20 states, 12 states very deeply, but we're all over. Please check us out on our website, blackvotersmatterfund.org. But thank you for having me on this show. We want folks to really recognize the way that we do our work are rooted in two belief. We believe that our responsibility, we can actually change this nation by spreading love and building us some power. And so in the process of doing both of those things, that's what we do with Black Voters Matter. We invite people to come join us. Come join the movement. Awesome. Join the movement, y'all. Thank you, Latasha. Thank you for having me. Today, we are going on the scene with Sarissa Brown, who has seen the best and worst of the campaign trail. She's been a voter, a candidate, and a supporter. She tells us about the difference between just wanting to make change in the political arena and actually making change happen. Hi, my name is Sarissa A. Brown and I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm not from a political background. I knew the bare minimum about politics, but I've been a mental health advocate. At that point, it was about 13 years and I witnessed someone attempt suicide. And the police came and they treated like it was like a crime scene, a war scene. They weaponized the scene. And I was very unhappy with the way it was handled. And I was very frustrated. I called the police department. I called the mayor's office. I was given all these promises of things we were going to do. All I wanted to do was talk to somebody about police sensitivity training. They needed to redo it. But everyone ignored me. I'm a Christian, so I prayed about it. And then a year later, I was like, you know what? My voice needs to be heard. And I jumped into that race. (laughs) People thought I was crazy because I would stand up there and say, research every single candidate and see who aligns closest to what you need and what you believe in. And if it's not me, don't vote for me. Vote for that candidate. Year round, we need to educate how important the vote is. And to me, I'm going to personally say the most important everywhere is your local votes. Your local votes are the most important. Those make the decision of your school system, your police department, all the things that affect you, the potholes that are tearing up your car. We need to educate people. You need to come out for these votes because these are the ones that are going to make the decision. These are the ones worth getting out the house for. Alabama has seven congressional districts, with six of those represent white and Republican voters and only one Black voter. Black voters in the state make up about 27% of the population, and we need at least two districts representing us. So it forces the Black voters into one district and denies our right to vote for leaders of our choice in other districts. Racial discrimination against Black voters in Alabama is a way of maintaining leadership among white citizens, and it's hurting us. It's hurting our communities. Like at one point, 31 of our driver license offices were closed. So that affected the ability for our voters to even get to the polling stations. Not every voter has a car. You know, some people use the bus, some people walk, and then you're closing the places that they can get to. I mean, I don't blame them. The easiest way is not to vote. The lines are long. You need special things for elderly. You need special things for the people with disability or pregnant women. These people stand in line. They're making it where they're going to get out of line. They're not going to vote. You know, they're going to get tired. Like, I have an unseen disability. I have arthritis. After a while, it's like, if I can't sit down, I have to leave. And I think that stuff is done on purpose. 
I'm an organizer and now I'm an activist. I get on people's nerves, but I let them know you need to vote. If they complain to me about something, I'm like, you need to vote. Were you part of the people that did not come out to vote? You need to vote. I just use my mouth and I still have a little platform. It's not big like it was, but a little platform to let people know, just vote. And I feel like us in the community also should educate each other. We should talk more and we should educate each other. If you have this knowledge, share it with someone. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't talk about them. Don't make fun of them. Everyone has a right to vote and that's it. Just everyone has a right. Grassroots supporters across the country are making their voices heard this election season because their voices have an impact. AdBlue's secure online fundraising platform is trusted by millions of small-dollar donors who are driving the change they want to see. At adblue.com directory, you can find and contribute directly to the groups and causes that matter most to you. So head to adblue.com directory to take action today. That's a wrap on season nine of the podcast. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for being with us on this journey. It personally means so much to me. It would also mean a lot to me if you could take the time to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. For more information on the Brown Girl's Guide to Politics, you can check us out at www.thebgguide.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the BG Guide. The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics podcast is produced by Wonder Media Network, and you can find them at wondermedianetwork.com. Until next season, Brown Girls.